Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, Chapter 10. The universe, as has been observed before, is an unsettling big place. A fact that which, for the sake of quiet life, most people tend to ignore. Many would happily move to somewhere rather smaller for their own devising. And this is what most beings, in fact, do. For instance, in one corner of the eastern galactic arm lies the large forest planet Aragogolon, an entire intelligent population of which lives permanently in one fairly small and crowded nut tree, in which tree they are born, live, fall in love, carry of tiny speculative items, the bark and the meaning of life, the fertility of death and the importance of birth control, right to a few stream and minor wars, and eventually die strapped to the underside of some less accessible outer branches. In fact, that only Amagons will ever leave their trees or those who are held out of it, for the hue is crying for wondering whether any of the other trees might be capable of supporting life at all. Indeed, whether the other trees are anything rather than illusions, Brought on by eating too many ogle nuts. As I think, though this behaviour may seem, there is no life form at the galaxy which is not, in some way, guilty of the same thing. Which is why the total protective vortex is horrific as it is. For when you are put in the vortex, you are given just one momentary glance, glimpse of the entire unimaginable infinity of creation, and somewhere. In that tiny little marker, microscope dot of a microscope dot, which says, you are here. A grey pane stretched before a superpod, a ruined shattered plane, the wind whispered like wildly over it. Visible in the middle was a still pimple of the dome. This gathered superpod was where he was going. This was a total perpetual. Perspective vortex. He stood out, stood and gazed bleakly at it. A sudden inhuman veil of terror emanated from it, as if a man having his soul burned from his body. It screamed above the wind and died away. Zephyrpod started with fear. His blood seemed to turn into liquid helium. Hey, what was that about? He muttered voicelessly. Recording, said Gavatar. The last man who was put in the vortex. We is always played to the next victim. I sort of predatude. Hey, it really sounds bad, stammered Zerberpod. Couldn't we just maybe couldn't we maybe slope off to a party or something? Oh well, I think I'm thinking over. For all I know, said Gavatar, it's a raffle voice. I'll probably I'm probably up one. My body, that is. It goes t- to a lot of parties about me. Says I only get in the way. Hey-ho. What is, what is all this with your body? Said Zephyrpod. Anxious to lay whatever was going to happen to him. Well, it's, it's busy. It's busy, you know. 
said Colonel Law hesitantly. You mean it's got a mind of its own, said Featherfoot? There was a long and slightly chilly pause. Fogart and I spoke again. I have to say, he replied conventionally, that I find that remark rather poor taste, Severfoot battered. A bewildered and embarrassed apology. No matter, said Gavitar. You don't want to know. The voice fluttered unhappily. Truth is, continuing tones which suggested he was trying very hard to keep control. Truth is that we are currently undergoing a period of legal trial separation. I expect it will end in divorce. The voice is still again leaving Severfoot. With no idea of what to say, he mumbled uncertainly. I think we probably not very well suited, said Gavitar again at length. We never seemed to be happy doing the same thing. We always had a greatest argument over sex and fishing. Eventually we tried to combine the two, but only led to a disaster, as you can probably imagine. And now my body refuses to let me in. I don't want even, don't even, won't even see me. He paused, began tranquilly. The wind whooped, whipped across the plain. It says I inhabited it. it. I pointed it out that, in fact, I was meant to inhabit it. And he said that it was exactly the sort of smart alec remark that got right up a body's left nostril. And so we went left it. It was probably got custody of my, of my forename. Oh, said Sophia faintly. What's that? Peaspot, said Mr. Said the voice. My name is Peaspot Gavitar. Says it all, doesn't it really? Uh, said Sophia sympathetically. And what? That is why I am disbodied mind of this job. Custodian and a total prospective vortex. Now I will never walk on the ground, it's funny. Except the victims of the vortex. They don't really count, I'm afraid. Ah, I'll tell you the story. Would you like to hear it? Uh, many years ago, this was a thriving, happy planet. People, cities, shops, a normal world except on the high streets of their cities. There's slightly more shoe shops than one might have thought necessary. Slowly and sensitively, the number of these shoe shops were increasing. You are known as economic phenomenon, but tragic to see it in operation. For the more shoe shops there are, the more shoes they have to make, the worse and more memorable they become. The worse they were to wear, the more people had to buy to keep themselves shod. And the more the shops had preferred until the whole company of the place passed what I believe is termed the shoe event horizon. It became no longer impossible to build anything other than shoe shops. Result collapse, ruin and famine. Most of the population died out. A few had the right kind of genetic instability mutated birds. You've seen one of them who cursed their feet, cursed at the ground, and vowed that none should walk on it again. A happy lot. Come, I'll take you to, to the Vortex. So Everford shook his head in bemusement and stumbled across, forward across the plain. And you, he said, you come here for, for the, this hellhole pit? Do you? No, no, said Gavitar, Gavitar, taking aback. I come from Frogstar, frog Wild Sea, middle place, wonderful fishing. I flit back here in the evening. Oh, oh all I could do now is watch the total perspective, perspective. Vortex is the only thing on this planet 
which has any function. It built here because no one else wanted it on their doorstep. At that moment, another dismal scream rent the air when Deceiverbot shuddered. What do you want? What can you do? What can do that to a guy? He breathed. Universe Gavatar. There is simply the whole infinite universe, infinite sun, the infinite distance between them, and yourself an infinite dot or the invisible dot, infinitely small. Hey, I was even a beer box, man, you know, muttered Bridget Box, trying to flap the last remains of his ego. Gavatar made a reply. The minute he resumed his mournful humming, and until he reached the tarnished steel dome in the middle of the plain, as they reached it, the door opened open on the side, being a small darkened chamber within. Enter, said Gavastar. Therefore, startled with fear. Hey, what? Now? He said. Now, Zephyrford peered nervously inside. The chamber was very small. It was still lined, and there was, there was hardly space for more than one man. Uh, it doesn't look like any kind of vortex to me, said Zephyrford. It isn't, said Gavastar. It's just an elevator enter. With infinite trepidation, Zephyrvoid stepped into it. He's aware of Gavastar being in the elevator with him. Though this assembled bodied man would not, for the moment speaking, ever either render its descent. I must get myself into the right frame of mind for this, muttered Zephyrvoid. Zephyrvoid? There's no right frame of mind, said Gavastar suddenly. You really don't, you don't, you really know. How to make a guy feel adequate? I don't. The vortex does. A bottomless shaft, a field elevator opened up, and Zephyrfod stumbled into a smallish, functional, still lineless chamber. At the far side of it stood a single upright steel box, just large enough for a man to stand in. It was that simple. Connected to a small pile of components and instruments. By a simple thick wire. Is that it? says Everford in surprise. That is it. Don't look too bad, thought Zephyrpod. And uh, and I'll get in there, I do. Don't worry, Zephyrpod. You'll get in there, says Gavastar. I'm afraid you must do it now. Okay. Okay, says Zephyrpod. He opened the door with the box and stepped in. Inside the box he waited. After five seconds, there was a click. Entire universe was there, in the box, with him. Chapter 11 In the total perspective vortex derives its picture, the whole universe on the principles of separate matter analysis. This plane, since every piece of matter in the universe is in some way affected by every other piece of matter in the universe, it is in theory possible to separate the whole of creation, every sun, every planet, their orbits, their composition, their economic and social history, from, say, one small piece of fairy cake, the man who invented it, the total protective vortex, did it, did so basically in order to annoy his wife. Tind Chagala, for that was his name, was a dreamer, a thinker, spectacular philosopher, or his wife would have it, an idiot. She would nag him incessantly about the utterly inordinate amount of time he spent staring out in space, money over the mechanics of safety pins, or doing stenographic analysis of pieces of fruit, cherry cake, 
Have you some sense of proportion? She would say. Time vanishes often thirty-eight times in a single day. So he built the total perspective vortex just to show her, and into one end he plugged the whole of reality, exploderated from the piece of fairy cake, and to the other end he plugged his wife. Suddenly, when he turned it on, she saw one instant the whole infinity creation herself in relation to it. The tin trigger of horror, the shock completely annihilated her brain. To but to his satisfaction, he realized he had proved conclusively if life is going to exist on a universe this size, then one thing it cannot afford to have is a sense of propulsion. A door of the vortex swung open. From his disembodied mind, Gravatar watched him deadly. He had rather like the third Buddha box. In a strange little way, he was clearly a man of many qualities, even if they were mostly bad ones. He waited for him for, to flop forward at the box, as he all did. Instead, he stepped out. Hey, he said. Be the box, cross, Mind and amusement. Could I have a drink, please? Said the box. You, you've been in the vortex, stammered Gravatar. You saw me, kid. And it was working? Sure was. You saw the whole infinity of creation? Sure. Really neat place. You know that? Gavastar's mind was reeling in astonishment. Had anybody been with him, he would have been sat heavily, down heavily, with his mouth hanging open. Are you, are you, you saw yourself, said Gavastar. Relation and all? Oh, yeah, yeah. But what did you experience? Dr. Zerford smugly. If I told you that, I, I knew, I, I just told me what I knew all the time. I was that really terrific and great guy. Didn't I tell you, baby? I'm Zephyr Peterbox. His gaze passed over the machinery, which powered the vortex and suddenly started. Startled, he breathed heavily. Hey, he said, this, this, that is really, that is, that's really a piece of food. Fairy cake. He ripped a small piece of confectionery from the sensors in which he it was surrounded. But I told you how much I needed this, he said reverently. I wouldn't have time to eat it, yet it. Chapter 12 A short while later, he was running across a plain in the direction of the ruined city. A dank air wheezed heavily on his lungs and frequently stumbled exhaustion he was still feeling. Night was beginning to fall too. Around the ground was treacherous. A culmination of his recent experience was still with him, though. The whole universe. He'd seen the whole universe stretching infinity around him. Everything. It had it come the clear, strong knowledge. He was the most important thing in it. Having conceded ego, one thing. Actually being told by machine is another. He didn't have time to reflect on this matter. Gavatar was told him he would have to alert his unit masters as to do what to happen, but that he was prepared to leave a decent interval, but before doing so, enough time for Superfod to make a break and find somewhere to hide. What he was going to do, he didn't know. The feeling that he was the most important person in the universe gave him the confidence of belief. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Something will turn up. Nothing else on his bloody planet would give him much ground for urbanism. He ran on and soon reached the outskirts of Baden City. He walked again along the cracked and raving roads, riddled with scrawny weeds and holes filled with rotting shoes. The buildings he passed were so crumbled and decrepit, he thought it was unsafe to enter any of them. Where would he hide? He, he hurried on. Oswald, while the remains of the wild steaming road, weaving road let off from the one down which he was walking, at his end lay a vast, narrow building, surrounded by sundry or smaller ones, whole surrounded by the remains of primitive build, primitive barrier. The large main building was still seemed. Weasley solid, and Zeeford turned to see if it might provide him with, well, with anything. He approached the building along one side of it. The front would have seen since it faced whole wide concretely the paper area. There were three gigantic doors, maybe six feet high. While the one, far one, while the roses opened, and towards this, Zephyr ran. Inside, all was gloom, dust, and confusion. Giant cobwebs lay over everything. Part of the structure of the building was had collapsed. Part of the rear had all but caved in. Thick, choking dust lay inches over the floor. Through the heavy gloom, shapes loomed, covered in debris. The shapes were something like cylindrical, sometimes bulbous, sometimes like eggs, or rather cracked eggs. Most of them were split open or fall apart. Some were, ske- were mere skeletons. They were, sp- they were all spacecraft, all derelict. They had wondered in frustration among the belt hawks. There was nothing here that remotely approached the serviceable. Even the mere vibration of his footprint steps caused one precious precarious wreckage that fervent in itself. Towards the rear of the building lay one old ship, slightly larger than the others, and buried beneath even deeper piles of dust and the world cobwebs. His outline had been sealed and broken, so he had approached it with interest. As he did so, he tripped over an old feed line. He tried to toss the feed line aside, and to his surprise discovered that it was still connected to the ship. To his utter astonishment, he realised that the feed line was also humming slightly. He stared at the ship in disbelief, and went back down to the feed line in his hands. He tore off his jacket and threw it aside. Crawling along on his hands and knees, he followed the feed line to the, feet, the point where it connected with the ship. The connection was sound, a slight humming vibration was more distinct. More distinct. His heart was beating fast. He walked away some, went away some grime and laid a car ear, a laid an ear against the ship's side. He could hear only, he could, he could hear only a faint Indeterminal noise. He rumbled, rummaged feverishly among the debris lying on the floor. All about him found a short length of tubing, narrow by a plastic club, at which he fashioned a crude silver coat, 
placed it against the solid ship. What he heard made his brain turn somersaults. The voice said, Transolo Cruise Lines would like to apologize to the freshers of the continuing delay of this flight. We're currently awaiting the loading of our complement of small lemon soap paper napkins for your comfort, refreshment, and hygiene during your journey. Meanwhile, we thank you for your patience. The crew, cabin crew, will shortly be sewing coffee and biscuits again. Zufford staggered backward, staring wildly at the ship. He walked on around for a few minutes in a daze. In doing so, he suddenly caught sight of a great giant departure board, still hanging, but by the only one support is sitting above him. It covered with grime, but some of the figures were still discernible. Jeffrey's eyes searched among the figures. They made one brief calculation. His eyes widened. Nine hundred years, he breathed to himself. That was how the late how late the ship was. Two minutes later, he was on board. He stepped out to the lock. The air that greeted him was cool and fresh. The air conditioning was still working. The lights were still on. He moved out a small entrance, clambered into the short, narrow corridor, and stepped nervously down it. Suddenly, a door opened, and the figure stepped out in front of him. Please return to your seat, sir, said the Andrejus, and turning her back on him, she walked on down the corridor in front of him. When his heart had started beating again, he followed her. She opened the door to the end of the corridor and walked through. He followed her through the door. They were now in the passenger compartment as Ephraim's heart stopped still again for a moment. In every seat, so the passenger strapped into his or her seat. Passenger's hair was long and unkept. Fingernails were long and men wore beards. All of them were quite clearly alive, but sleeping. Severed had the creeping horrors. He walked slowly down the corridor in a dream. By the time he was halfway down the aisle, Julius had reached the other end. She turned and spoke. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, she said sweetly. Thank you for, for bearing with us during this slight delay. We will be printing it off as soon as possible. Can, can I? Can. If you'd like to wake up now, I will serve you coffee and biscuits. There was a slight hum. At that moment, all the pressures awoke. It awoke screaming and clawing at straps and life support systems. It kept them slightly in, tightly in their chair seats. They screamed and bawled and hollered until everybody thought his ears would shatter. They struggled and wavered, wavered. Stratus patiently moved up the aisle, placing a coffee, small cup of coffee, a packet of biscuits in front of each one of them. One of them rose from his seat. He turned and looked at Zifferford. Zifferford's skin was crawling all over his body, as if he was trying to get off. He turned and ran from the bedroom. He plunged through the door, back in the corridor. A man pursued him. He raced in a frenzy to the end of the corridor, through the entrance, came and beyond. He rided at the fight deck, slammed and bolted the door behind him. He leaned back against the door, breathing hard. The seconds of hand started beating on the door. From somewhere on the fight deck, a metallic voice answered him. Passengers are not allowed on the flight deck. Please return to your seat. I'm waiting for a ship to take off. Coffee and biscuits are being served. This is your audible, Paulette speaking. Please turn to your seat. The said nothing. 
He breathed hard behind him. A hand continued to knock on the door. Please return to your seat, repeated the ultra pilot. Persons are not allowed on this flight on the flight deck. I'm not a passenger, panted Zoverford. Just please return to your seat. I am not a passenger, shouted Zoverford. Again, please return to your seat. I am not a... Hello? Can you hear me? Please return to your seat. You're the autopilot, said Zoverford. Yes, said a voice behind the, from the flight console. You're in charge of ship. Yes, said a voice again. There have been a delay. Passengers are to be kept temporarily in suspension over a nation. Uh, their comfort and convenience. Coffee and biscuits are served every year. Are the rich passengers are to turn spend the emanation for their continued comfort and convenience. But if arts will take place when the flight stores are complete, we apologize for the delay. So if I'd moved away from the door, which the panning now eased, ceased, he proposed the flight control console. Delay, he cried. Have you seen the world outside the ship? It's wasteland, a desert civilization, being a gone man. There are no lemon soap paper towels. That kind of away from anywhere. The serious, the likelihood, outlined of to pilot primary. Is that other civilizations will arise? And one day be lemon soap paper, paper napkins. Till then there'll be a short delay. Please return to your seat. But, but at the moment the door opens, if a voice spun around to see the man who pursued him was standing there, and he carried a large briefcase. He was smartly dressed. His hair was short. He had no, he had no beard and no long fingernails. Zipper Beatbox, he said. My name is Zipper I believe you wanted to see me. Zipper Beatbox withered. Your mouth said foolish things. He dropped into a chair. Oh, man, oh, man. Where did you spring from, he said. I've been waiting for you, here, here for you, he said in a business tone. Put the briefcase down and sat upon another, sat in another chair. A lady followed Fretchen, said. I'm a bit nervous that you might have left my office by the door rather than the window. That would have been... That, that would have been trouble. So he shook his head. I him and bur- bubbled. When you entered the door to my office, you entered my electronic supervisor university, he explained. If you had left by the door, you would have been back, taken back, back into the real one. Our official one works here, from here. He patted his studies face slightly. He very glanced at him with resentment and loathing. What's the difference, he muttered. Nothing, said Zephyr they are identical. Oh, except that I think the folk star fighters are grey in the real universe. Ah, what's going on, said Zipperwood? Simple, said Zipperwood. Self-assurance and smugness made Zipperwood settle. Steve, very simple, repeated Zipperwood. I discovered the coordinates of this man will be, could be found. A man who lives in the universe and discovered his work. Well, well, protected by an ability field. To tra- protect my secret, myself, I retreat to the safety of this totally artificial universe. I hear myself away in a forgotten cruise liner. I was sure. It's cute. Meanwhile, you and I, you and I, said Zephyr angrily. You mean I knew, I, I mean I knew you? Yes, said Zephyr We knew each other very other well. I have no taste, said Zephyr and resumed a sudden silence. Well, you and I arrange that you could steal the property drive ship as be the only one 
which could reach the ruler's world and bring it in to me here. This is, this is you, this you have done, now done, I trust, and I, could I congratulate you? He smiled a tight little smile, which Severfoid wanted to hit with a brick. Oh, in case you were wondering, Severfoid, you must created specifically for you to come to. You are therefore the most important person in this universe. You should never, you would never, he said, with an even more brickable smile, have surveyed the total perfect shelter the real, in the real world, one. Shall we go? Where? said Severfoid soberly. He felt, felt collapsed. To your ship, the heart of gold. You did we bring it? I heard trust. No. Where is your jacket? Severfoid looked at him in such a mystification. My jacket? I took it off outside. Let me go and find it. Severfoid stood up and gestured as Severfoid to follow him. Right in the entrance chamber again, they could hear the screams of passions being fed coffee and biscuits. It was just not just a pleasant experience. Wait, it's not been a pleasant experience. Many of you said Zephyrfoot. Not pleasant for you, broad Zephyrfoot. How do you think? Zephyrfoot held by silenting finger. And actually swung open. A few feet away from them, they could see Zephyrfoot's jacket lying in the debris. A very remarkable and very powerful ship, said Zephyrfoot. Watch. And he watched the pocket in the jacket suddenly bulge. A split, it ripped. A small metal metal bottle, the heart of gold, and Z- that Zephyrfoot had bewildered to discover in his pocket was growing. It grew, it contained him to grow. It reached over after two minutes its full size. It's a probably it's a, at an probability level. Zephyrfoot, oh, I don't know how, oh, I don't know, but something's very large. Zephyrfoot swayed. You mean I had it with me all that time? Zephyrfoot smiled. He lifted up his briefcase and opened it. He twisted a single switch inside it. Goodbye, artificial girl universe. He had had over one. Stream before him shimmered briefly. He reappeared exactly as before. You see, said Zephyrfoot. What would be exactly the same? You mean, repeated Zephyrfoot correctly. I had, but that I had it with me all that time. Oh, yes, said Zephyrfoot, of course. That was the whole point. That's it, says Edward. You can count me out. From here on, and you'll, you can count me out. I had all I wanted this. You, you, you play your own games. I'm afraid you cannot leave, says Edward. You've intertwined an improbability field. You cannot escape. He smiled and smiled as if I'd wanted to hit this time. Zephyrfoot hit it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.